and welcome back to the Catholic Cinema Crusade podcast. I'm your uh, head writer and host and presenter, Nick Olzik. My producer and editor is my wife, Violet. And this is episode number five. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Today we are going to ask through the prayers of St. Michael the Archangel, who conquers the demons, and St. Thomas More, the great champion of liberty and of conscience. We ask for you two great intercessors to please pray for us as we talk about um, the need for freedom and uh, consolation, especially in difficult times. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who has listened to the podcast already. Please make sure to share this podcast with your friends, like, subscribe, and uh, help us to get better known so that we can continue to grow. Today, for episode five, we're actually going to be looking at two recent television dramas that are in one of my personal favorite genres of television. That is what I like to call the puzzle genre. So this uh, genre of television drama, I've yet to see a comedy attempt this, uh, actually has its roots in the 1990s uh, with uh, my personal favorite, just to throw another favorite TV show of all time, and that was The X-Files, which was on uh, Fox from 1993 to 2002, starring uh, David E. and Gillian Anderson as FBI agents who researched all kinds of paranormal phenomena but especially UFOs. Now, one of the many reasons this show was so revolutionary, apart from the fact it was just a whole lot of fun, was that rather than simply having one episode that dealt with some paranormal theme, like The Outer Limits or The Twilight Zone, they would have two kinds of episodes. They would have what were called Monster of the Week episodes. So these would be the episode, you know, about a lake monster or about Bigfoot or about a vampire or something like that. But then they also had certain episodes of episodes of what they called a myth arc. Very early, I think even in the pilot episode, it was established that David Duchovny's character, Special Agent Fox Mulder, had a very traumatic experience in his early childhood where he witnessed his sister being abducted by what he believed were aliens. And pretty much this jettisons him on this uh, journey to find out what really happened to his sister, who is still missing. And then, of course, his partner, Special Agent Dana Scully, for that Gillian Anderson is the skeptic who doesn't really believe in any of this. And so while there were certain episodes that were very much self-contained, every few episodes, they would add another episode that kind of added to this grand mystery. And very gradually, um, spoiler here, but, you know, it's been two decades since the series has been over, very gradually, they discovered this vast government conspiracy, how the government had kind of the shadow government that was working with aliens to save a remnant of humanity when the inevitable alien invasion would occur. And over the course of nine seasons, that's, you know, his sister was part of this and his father was part of this. And very gradually, this was, you know, uncovered and revealed um, and, you know, it ends on this kind of weird precipice where we're not sure what's going to happen. Are the aliens going to come? Are we going to be able to stop them, uh, et cetera? But it started this concept of you had to tune in every week because you're never sure when the next piece of the puzzle, gradually finding out, gradually revealing what's really happening. 
Um, the next show, the show that really took this and established it as a major genre, was Lost, which premiered two years after the end of X-Files on ABC in 2004, was on for six seasons until 2010. They got rid of the whole Monster of the Week concept and simply stuck with the myth arc. Every single episode, you had to tune in because it added something else. You couldn't miss a single episode. My wife uh, uh, watched the show back when Netflix was still a DVD streaming service, and she loves to talk about how they would sit on pins and needles to get every DVD in the mail, and they'd have to wait three days for the next DVD so they could watch it. Uh, before, you know, the age of, age of streaming binge and that sort of thing. And so we're going to be looking at two shows that are in this kind of puzzle genre where every episode reveals something secret of the greater story happening. Uh, the two shows we're going to look at are MGM Plus's show From, which just finished its second season about two weeks ago. And then uh, the Apple Plus television series Silo, which just finished its first season uh, last week. So they both just wrapped up a season. One's been on for a single season. One's been on for two. They are both excellent TV shows. Right away, I will tell you, I absolutely recommend them. Uh, But the reason I wanted to do both of them was that while they were both puzzle genres, and they both kind of this idea of being trapped in a dystopian world that you're trying to get out of and trying to figure out how that's going to happen, One takes the avenue very much of a kind of supernatural horror show that uses, you know, bits and pieces of things like Stephen King and Lost, as I mentioned, versus the other very much takes a more political slant in the uh, tradition of Aldufus Huxley and George Orwell and that sort of thing. Um, You know, it's, it's also very much kind of in the science fiction genre, but not paranormal, more of a kind of dystopian future with government takeover and that sort of thing. So let's just start with looking at briefly the plots of both. Now, again, I'm going to have to spoil some of it, but I'll try to keep all some of the uh, uh, later stuff not spoiled so you can have a chance to go on and look for it for yourself. As I said, both the most recent seasons have wrapped up. So if you go on the internet, they're full of spoilers. Um, But the good news is, you know, you can binge it all in one night if you really want to. Um, You don't have to wait till next week. (laughs) So we'll start with Silo. So Silo takes place in a dystopian future. It's very like the Hunger Games. It's kind of vague how far in the future this is happening, where all of humanity, as we know it, lives in one giant silo hundreds of feet beneath the ground. Um, It reminded me a lot of another novel I came across a while back called City of Ember, where basically everybody lives in this kind of underground city. And so this silo is this big cylindrical shape and has all of these different levels and roughly around 10,000 people live in this kind of claustrophobic underground bunker. Um, and again, it's a little vague how big this thing is, but they do mention several times that it would take more than a day to walk the giant central spiral uh, staircase from top to bottom. So well over a hundred floors, tens of, you know, at least 10,000 people. It's an absolutely enormous kind of mini city that's inside this silo. They also mentioned that roughly about 140 years ago, there was a rebellion that almost destroyed all of humanity and erased all the history that they knew before the silo. 
So they make it very clear that we don't know where the silo came from. We don't know who built it. We don't know what happens. We're just here trying to survive, and you better not upset it because everything is on a precipice. We need air. We need food. We need water. And it's all self-contained because the outside world, something's very wrong, and you can't go outside. And the government of Silo heavily restricts any investigation into what happened in the time period prior to this rebellion. If you find any relics, so these would be man-made objects that seem to come before this time, these are confiscated by the central um, authority uh, and uh, taken and studied, but really they just kind of disappear Indiana Jones style in some warehouse somewhere where no one can see them. So everything in this society is very strictly regulated. The food you eat, the air you breathe, the water. And like many dystopian societies, they very highly regulate uh, the amount of children you can have. Uh, women are implanted with birth control very early, and it's only removed if you're approved to have a child, and you can only have one child at a time. So there's all one of the great things about puzzle shows is that there's always these big questions that come right come around right at the very beginning. So the big question here is, how did we get here? Where does the silo come from? What happened outside that required us to be in the silo? And like Psycho, it starts with kind of a false protagonist. It starts with the sheriff, uh, the head of law enforcement um, of this world, uh, uh, whose name is uh, Holston, played by David Lello, if you remember from uh, the movie Selma. And he's basically convinced that he needs to go outside, which is essentially a death sentence, and this is a crime to say he would want to go outside. So it starts with him and kind of his own little investigation about why the world is the way it is, and his wife has a breakdown and is convinced the government is lying about the fact that she can't have a child, and they both end up going outside. So very quickly, what we think is the protagonist actually isn't the protagonist. It shifts to a woman named Juliet Nichols, who is an engineer who works at the absolute lowest levels of the silo, but in some ways the most important, because she runs the generator that powers everything in this giant city. And she is extremely intelligent, extremely practical, very loyal, just a fantastic character. And oddly enough, Holston, the sheriff, before he gets sent outside to his death, appoints her as the next sheriff, and she's kind of mystified by this. She doesn't really know why. And so the series really focuses on her investigating a series of mysterious deaths, possibly murders, and gradually uncovers a lot of secrets. You know, why is this city here? Why aren't people allowed outside? When people go outside, why do they die? You know, all these sorts of things. And that's kind of where the mystery is. So now going to From. Like Silo, From is, in many ways, claustrophobic. It's this kind of encapsulated society. But unlike Silo, which is very much a political genre, you know, the government is kind of keeping stuff from us, From, the society is run by something they can't see, something they didn't necessarily vote for or inherit. Uh, it starts with this uh, uh, small family, the Matthews family. They're on this road trip in their Winnebago going across the country. Very normal, very average, just kind of talking. It's a mom, a dad, two kids, kind of an angsty teenage daughter, and then a younger, curious son. And they come across this giant tree in a road. 
I have to tell you, after you see this show, I went on a hike today with my sons and Cub Scouts, and I was going across, you know, in the wilderness. I came across this tree in the middle of the path, and it instantly gave me PTSD from watching this show. <laughs> because they come across this tree in the middle of the road, and then there's all these weird crows circling around. They're like, oh, this is really weird. So, of course, they can't go through the tree, so they turn around. And when they turn around, they come to this little kind of city. And as they're driving through the city, everybody kind of stands up and stares at them. It's very creepy and weird, but they just keep driving. And they take a right, and they circle around, and then they find themselves, as they keep traveling, back in the same city. Well, that was weird, so they take the other direction. Circle around, find themselves back in the same city. Gradually, they come to realize they're stuck in essentially a geographical loop. They literally cannot escape this city. No matter how far they drive, no matter how far they run, they're always going to end up in this city. They are stuck kind of supernaturally in this city. But that's not even the worst part about it. When the city goes dark at night, they are shoved, you know, inside houses and told they have to stay in these houses at night because there's these mysterious creatures that come out at night that are very dangerous. And it's then we then see the creatures come out and they look like human beings. They look kind of like weird, stereotypical 1950s humans. There's like a milkman. There's a guy in a checkered shirt. And they have these very eerie smiles on and they ask to come inside. And you're not allowed to come inside. And we're eventually shown what happens when they do come inside. And basically they morph into these grotesque, we're not really sure if they're aliens or vampires or whatever, but they have long teeth and they completely dismember and kill anybody that invites them inside or is caught outside. And this happens every single night. So they are very much in a prison, but this is not a prison of some political leader. It seems to be some sort of supernatural prison. But as they, the Matthews family and other characters we meet, um, as they kind of investigate their world, they discover all kinds of questions. Why can't we leave? You know, if we don't follow the roads, if we just kind of walk through the forest, where are we going to end up? All the houses have electricity and water, but the wires and pipes don't really lead to anywhere. Um, nobody farms. No one really raises cattle, and yet chickens and cows just kind of wander into their town or appear, there's all these very weird things that suggest there's something bigger going on. Gradually, the two protagonists of this show that emerge are, again, a sheriff, <laughs> uh, the law enforcement of town, uh, played by Harold Panayi, who's um, a very fine actor, actually was from Lost, uh, and Donna, who I think is kind of the breakout actress in television this year. She plays, uh, this is Elizabeth Summer uh, Sanders, and she plays uh, uh, kind of the other leader of the town besides the sheriff. So those are basically the framework. So again, the reason I wanted to compare these was that they're both using the same genre in a really effective way, but teaching different lessons. So Silo follows the tradition of 1984, George L. Wells' great uh, novel about a dystopian future of a totalitarian government that controls everything but especially controls the truth, okay? You can't question. You can't be curious. Everything is run not just totalitarianly, but bureaucratically. It's very hard to get anything done, even things that need to get done. This creates, of course, 
a very thriving black market. You see this in Silo, okay? So for example, in Silo, you're not allowed to have relics. You gotta turn them in. Well, of course, if you know where to look, little tiny relics of the past appear everywhere and people have their own little collections of hard drives and Pez dispensers and, and books from the previous generation that they, they you know, covet and, and keep very close. I was also reminded of Fahrenheit 451 where people had secret stashes of books that they weren't supposed to have. And the other thing that I really liked about this is it has all those traditional elements of totality governments. You know, there's the leader of the IT department. There's the mayor who kind of enforce their will and tell people what they can and can't do. There's punishments where people are sent out, quote, to clean, meaning they're sent outside and inevitably die. Um, there's a lot of weird, odd things, like you're not allowed to have magnification, like telescopes or magnifying glass. You're also not allowed to have pulleys or, you know, you would think in, in something like a silo that was very, very tall, you would have elevators or pulleys or something like that. You're not allowed to have any of that. You have to walk. You have to use the central spiral staircase. You can't do elevators and it's not made really clear why. What I liked about this especially is coming out of the crisis of 2020 and the lockdowns and all of that, this feels like the very first mainstream show or movie that really captured a sense of the ramifications of that event. And this is true, like, for example, after 9-11, okay? It took a couple of years for people to process it, to think about it, and very slowly we started to see media that kind of reflected how we felt in films like Zero Dark Thirty and United 93. And I would even say things like Captain Phillips, you know, that kind of, you know, we're trying to deal with the trauma of that experience. And this was, I think, the first series that really tried to do this because everyone is essentially on lockdown. They're all trapped in this building and they can't leave. One woman has such bad OCD over this, she can't even leave the room she's in. She can't even leave her own little uh, cubby. And we're told by the government, the reason you can't do this is because it's poisonous out there. It's, you know, there's nothing out there. It's a wasteland. We don't know why. You know, there's a lot of questions and the questions are very quickly clamped down. You're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to do this. You have to trust us. And it was really kind of relieving to see this is not, you know, Apple Plus is not a bastion of conservatism. This isn't, you know, the Daily Wire. This isn't uh, uh, the one American news network or anything like that. This is, you know, Apple Plus, uh, Tim Robbins, a notable Hollywood liberal is the main actor. And yet, nonetheless, they recognize kind of uh, the dystopian nature of what we all went through. Now, from is also a prison, but it's a prison that's far worse because it's a prison that's made out of the atoms of reality. There isn't, you know, at the very least, you know, when they're dealing with the government authority inside, they're dealing with other human beings. People have wants and desires and are fallible just like we are. But in from it very becomes it becomes quickly apparent that they're dealing with something much bigger with them that is kind of controlling the strings. It's still very vague what all this is, even by the end of the second season. We don't have a lot of answers to that. But the enemy is clearly not human, not something that is of this world. The stakes are higher, they're scarier. You know, um again, spoiler alert, but even beyond the creatures that are outside and might get inside, people start to die from things that attack them in their own dreams. 
how do you fight that? How do you fight something that you can't fully understand that seems to break the normal laws of physics and reality? And yet, even in this situation, we look for patterns, we experiment, we try to figure things out. So as people have visions and experience odd paranormal experiences, they start to put together. Well, I saw this symbol in a dream. Well, I saw the same symbol. When was the first time you saw that symbol? And very slowly, they start to work together. They start to make pieces of the puzzle. And one of the things that struck me as I was watching this is this is very much like our reality, okay? It's really not that far removed because especially as a person of faith, one of the things we teach is that miracles are ways of showing us, well, you know, more laws of physics don't always work. And that, you know, as we go through human history and we see these, if you want, violations of the natural order, what do these mean? How do you piece these together? This is why even prior to the revelation that occurred in Judaism with Abraham, human beings had a sense of God. They had a sense of a spiritual order. They had a sense of otherworldly beings because they saw them in their everyday to day life and they were able to create religious systems. It's essentially what we call today like traditional paganism, you know, animism, things like that, that were experiential. They were not simply, you know, and in some cases you can say this is God putting himself into his own creation. But I think a lot of it was just kind of them observing the world around them. So the next thing we're going to look at is kind of both of these shows are apocalyptic, not in the sense they talk about the end of the world, but in the straight meaning of the term and that they use symbols to reveal hidden things about truth and nature. Specifically, I would say about human nature itself. Now, the puzzle genre is really good at this. It's really good at kind of establishing a story, but as a way to make characters figure themselves out to make characters get molded as clay into who they really are, reveal who they are. Uh, Lost was really good at this. Every episode, they would have kind of a backstory about one character and then how their actions in the past were affecting them in the future. What could they do differently? How would they sometimes do the same thing and trip up even worse? Um, And this is very much the same in both shows, in Silo and in from you gradually learn more and more about each of these characters and as their past and their futures are revealed they are kind of made the puzzle clearer okay and this is all based on one of the greatest biblical passages of all time where jesus is confronted you know with this question of you know what is truth and he says you know i am the way the truth and the life you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II said, if the entire Bible was erased but one Bible verse, the Bible verse I would choose is the truth will set you free. Because these characters are looking for the truth. And this requires sacrifice. It requires forgiveness. It requires characters to develop. And like purgatory, it kind of purges them into showing their own true colors making them into who God wants them to be, or sometimes putting them to the brink where they realize maybe I'm not a good person as I thought I was, and they turn into kind of monsters themselves, okay? So the the last thing to kind of return to this political versus spiritual talk is, you know, again, this is what the shows are kind of talking about, but how do we then take meaning from this and bring it to our own lives? 
Well, Silo is very much of the times. Clearly, it's meant to be about kind of the lockdowns, the fear of the unknown, the fear that the government is totalitarian, and that we, you know, um, you know, have to be suspicious. What I would draw from this, what I think is really important, both from Silo and just from the experience of the last few years, is um, a quote, and I, I honestly cannot remember where I saw this or where it was from, but it said that the central goal, the first goal of any totalitarian regime is to get you to trust the government, but not your neighbors. Okay, in other words, your government is going to supply your food, the government's going to supply your needs, but, you know, your neighbor might be snitching on you, your neighbor might be doing this and that. Now, they might be working for the government when they're snitching on you, but basically trust us, not them. And I think a lot of us experienced that during the crisis of 2020. Um, this idea that the government was going to make sure we had our food, make sure we had our toilet paper, make sure we had our streaming services, and that we would have everything I need in our little house. We could keep going to school. We could keep doing our jobs. But don't go outside. Don't go play on the playground. Don't do these things. And most importantly, your biggest enemy is the people in your own family. Don't visit. I remember the first Thanksgiving that came about in the fall of 2020, we were told so many times, don't gather together, don't meet together. This was going to be kind of our first big meeting. And um, ultimately, you know, families did what they were going to do. I know my family technically broke the rule. I think you weren't supposed to have more than like seven people in a house. And we ended up having nine because we're big, crazy people that are definitely going to break the law in such a dramatic fashion. Um but we were told, you know, the other, your, your next door neighbor, your, you know, person at school or whatever, they might be the one you catch COVID from. They're the enemy. And I think gradually we saw, no, we can really trust each other. We can really be with each other. This is not going to be the end of the world. I'm not saying that COVID-19 wasn't a real disease that really got people sick. Okay. But nonetheless, society moved on and things moved on. And looking back, I think in general, it was an overreach and it caused a lot more damage than needed to happen. And then with From, it's, I think, as, as dire as the crisis of 2020 was, I think it represents the fear that a lot of people have of divine authority. In this show, I think, I love how complicated From is because you know, it can feel often when we're experiencing something in life, especially as people of faith, you know, when some really traumatic thing happens or something happens that seems totally out of sync. The one thing that I think of most is uh, the miscarriage of my uh, uh, third child. I remember that was just such a traumatic event that didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's not like we were poor and couldn't take care of this child. It's not like we were in a bad place. I didn't understand why this child wasn't invited into my family. And it felt almost like God was pulling the strings and doing something bad to us that didn't happen to us, just like the people in From. And in fact, there's a really beautiful scene in the last episode where Harold, um, uh, excuse me, Boyd, I'm mixing up shows. Uh, Boyd goes into the chapel, and there is a chapel in this town, and he kind of has it out with God. And I've had moments in my life where I've just kind of, blasted all my cannons at God. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And on the one hand, you can feel like that. And that's same way the characters are trapped. They're trapped by a malevolent God who hates them and wants to toy with them and wants to give them false hope. But then there's little moments in the show that suggest 
know this oppression that's on you, even if it's supernatural, God will win out in the end. Okay, and again, I don't want to reveal too much, but there is an out. Okay, there is something beyond whatever this entity can control, whatever this thing is, and it might even be something supernatural like a demon. It's not God. Okay, <clears throat> and whether it's an alien, whether it's a demon, whether it's a fairy, I don't know. God is God. And even as scary as a supernatural malevolent force can be, human beings are still made in the image of likeness of God. And thus human beings, with God's help, can defeat those malevolent forces. There's a beautiful scene where one of the characters in From gets pregnant, and she's really worried because she doesn't know she can raise a child in this atmosphere. And Donna... Uh, comes forward and, it, and she says, no, this is a reason to hope. You know, you know, it wasn't supposed to happen and yet it happened. And it shows that there's something beyond kind of this little world that we have here. And maybe that was a way of this alien trying to get some false hope, but you could even conquer that. I mean, look at what Satan did. Satan thought he was going to defeat the whole human race by killing off God's son. And God raised him from, and, you know, he raised from the dead. So while mainstream Hollywood right now, I think, is having a little bit of an identity crisis, there are some films that are doing great versus some films that should have done great that have totally bombed. Television, I must say, over the last decade is really having a golden age. I think streaming in general has actually been a big boom because we're seeing a lot of voices come through that previously would have been filtered out by the big channels. But now anybody can make a show. Any streaming service can be successful. And I think in general, streaming has been a gift. And I'm really looking forward to what comes next from these two shows. And I hope you are too. So let's end with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this gift of coming together today to celebrate great art. Please bless all those who are involved with the series. I especially ask that the uh, writers uh, strike and the threats of the actor strike uh, be tampered, that they work things out partially so that we can continue to have these great TV shows, but also so that everybody in the industry can continue to work and support their families. And I thank you for all your many, many blessings. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Last little postscript, purely a little piece of trivia. Um, so my wife loves the horror genre. It's by far probably her favorite genre of TV and film. But she's very, you know, you know, she watches it so much that <laughs> nothing really surprises her. Nothing impresses her. She told me that From was the very first TV show she's ever watched that actually gave her nightmares, which is probably the best endorsement I can give. So enjoy From, enjoy Silo, and I'll see you next time.